0: Welcome to Season 6, Episode 2 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my brother, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello, Chris. If you're new to this podcast, Match Wits is a nostalgia pop culture uh, where we cover everything from movies to music to you know our, our childhood growing up. So to get, get us started today, and today's episode is going to be, uh, we're going to cover a couple of things. Uh, we're going to talk about um, comedians, and particularly stand-up. We talked about this in episode one. Comedians and and their turn and uh, dramatic roles in movies. We're going to go through a top six list. Uh, but before before we get into that, again, like I like to start these, these podcasts off with a little bit of nostalgia from Chris and I's childhood. And Chris, you may or may not remember this um, but this was an important kind of pivotal moment for me, of uh, nineteen eighty four, and so I was five. I was, Steve, I'm probably <laughs> not going to remember. That. <laughs> but, you, but you might remember the videotape because I was twelve, and we recently had gotten at some point in there. I can't remember when we exactly we got cable, but we also had like a free month of HBO, yep. and we and we also had a VCR, right? And we also had a very thrifty mother. Mm-hmm. that recorded a ton of movies to create our catalog so that when the 30 days was over, then, you know, because we, we weren't going to pay for HBO. We couldn't afford it, and that was just not something we were going to do, at least at that at that point. So so we recorded tons and tons of, of things. I think I still have Ghostbusters and Rhinestone Cowboy on, on, a, on a VHS.
1: Well, Steve, whatever of that collection you don't have, I do. I have all of mom's handwritten VHS tapes, the ones that you didn't steal from mom and dad's house. I have all the remainders downstairs. I have the one with Romancing the Stone, Empire Strikes Back, and I forget what the third one was. Because she had to, we remember we had to use the super long play in order to, because that was six hours. So you could usually get three movies unless those two first movies were longer than two hours. Then you only got about an hour of the last one, which I think that was, if you remember, No Retreat, No Surrender. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's first American movie, where the guy <laughs> right. was visited by the ghost of Bruce Lee, and it trained him how to do. We only had <laughs> right. it f- the first hour and a half, so we missed like the last fifteen minutes of that movie. But I watched the first hour and a half ten, twenty times when I was a kid. <laughs> but no ending. Right. No ending. No ending.
0: So, so in there, and and I don't know if you have this tape, but I think it's out there. Is the uh, HBO did the young comedian special? Oof, right. I don't think so. Okay, so the ninth annual Young Comedian Special was the, the pivotal one for me, right? So this was 1984. I think it aired ninety uh, in, in 85, hosted by Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> and and the lineup and these are just the ones that I kind of kind of remember. I know who they are, right? So it was uh, Louis Anderson, Sam Kinison, <laughs> Bob Saget, Yakov Smirnoff, Rita Rudner, uh, and Maurice LaMarche. We're on there. Oh, I don't and, know who and, that last one is. Oh, we're going to talk about the last one because uh, I, I had to look him up. And then Bob Nelson.
1: Bob Nelson. Right. So was, if you met, that was Bob Bob Saget before he was uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. Bob Saget, wasn't it? So that was Cru- when he was still real crude and
0: yes, and his jokes. I watched some of this stuff on YouTube.
1: It is gold, and you can't
0: find this. Like I guess you could probably order it off of eBay. The the DVD of the special, and it's it's not out there in its entirety to, to pay, or it's not on any of the streaming services that I could find. But if you watch it, there is, there's comedy gold in here. I'm sure. um, Bob Nelson was like his claim to fame was he did the balloons <laughs> under the sweater and he did the the all-star football team. Yep. Right. Remember like Tom yep. <laughs> and, and he went to Tony Cappuccino, Brooklyn university, <laughs> Like that whole, like that, I, I remember laughing at that and watching that over and over again. And of course you get Sam Kinnison, like vintage, like that was, I think, what broke Kinnison. like Dangerfield broke broke Kinnison at the time. <laughs> uh, Louis Anderson, like hilarious. That was the, you know, he walked on stage and he moved the
1: microphone. He yep. said, let me move this so you can see me. <laughs> And I uh, I met him in Vegas When I went to Vegas as a graduation present from college I was at a bar And Louis Anderson was there And we went over and sat and had drinks with him And he is one of the biggest creeps that I've ever met Like I haven't met that many celebrities The same trip I met Jay Moore And Jay Moore is like the nicest guy in the world He was coked out of his mind at the time But he was super nice Like sat down and bought his drinks But Louis Anderson, the girl I was with at the time Was out there with me And Louis Anderson felt her up Oh wow. Yeah, so he was life. a little
0: little creepy. A little creepy. A little handsy. Yeah. yeah. And Sagitt, to your point, Sagitt was like his joke. His he did that rapid fire, like serious, not serious, like super dry. And his joke was, I just married my girl of seven my girlfriend of seven years and they everybody's like, Oh, and he's like, No, that's her age. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what everybody thinks Bob Saget is one way from their experiences with America's Funniest Home Videos and uh, Full House and Fuller House and all that stuff. So they think he's the guy that operates in the blue, the really clean, good-natured, wholesome comedian. And good lord, Bob Saget couldn't be more anything different than that the perception he's crude he says things like his his character on entourage which is basically him is the closest representation that you get to how he really was and i we knew well you knew that at an early age which means i knew that at an early age which mean when i saw him later in life i would always tell people about how vulgar and how funny he actually was and they're like that guy that does America's Funniest Home Videos and I'm like yeah he's really really funny and I'm glad as he's getting that recognition later in his career about how actually funny he is yeah, and funny and
0: and raunchy. Like mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. He had such that clean Danny Tanner was that yep. the name Danny that Tanner. That, that's right. that that clean image from both A F V and from from Full House. And then he did and when they did that Aristocrats documentary. The
1: <laughs> that's when like... I. That's the clip I show people. Like, oh, you you think Bob Saget's funny? And I'm like, have you ever seen a movie called The Aristocrats? And they're like, I've never even heard of that before. And for the people that are listening and I haven't heard it. Aristocrats is a documentary. Was it done by? Penn & Teller, or was it just done by Penn? Oh, I don't know. I that thought one... he was the one that... He was, maybe he was an executive producer, but I don't remember. It was a documentary about this 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 old, old joke called The Aristocrats, and the, the setup is the same, and then they got all of these comedians to do the, the later parts. So you the, the premise is the same, and then each one tells it different. But when Bob Saget does his version of it, it includes Puss and the Olsen twins <laughs> and... All sorts of horrible, horrible things. And then the the punchline is always the end. You just say, what's the name of the show? And the show is called The Aristocrats. And I always show the Bob Saget clip just to, that's his old material. That's the way he was during his stand-up, and that's... What I fell in love with first before I fell, or before I started watching them on America's Funniest Home Videos and Full House, so
0: exactly, yeah. So if you go back and that clip's out there because I watched it the other day and I remembered how funny that was. The the Sam Kinison's out there, the Louis Anderson's out there, uh, the Yakov Shmernov's out there. Which again, this is peak Cold War. You've yeah, exactly. got a Russian comedian. <laughs> you know, one of his jokes is, you know, oh yes, we have comedians in Russia they're there they're dead but they're there <laughs> <laughs> and you have to t- jokes about having to send your jokes into the Kremlin and everything so and then so and i I'd, I'd watch that special and the reason we're bringing this up is i watched that special so many times like that is what really introduced me to the idea of stand up comedy and, and there was many other specials. And you go back and watch. I mean, they, and Dangerfield did this for a number of years, this Young Comedian special. But this one for me, because of my age at, at 12 years old, it introduced me to, to comedy. And I remember the one guy, and we're going to talk about Maurice LaMarche, because um, I watched him. He was an impressionist. Like, okay. All he did was impressions. And he did rapid fire impressions. And at the time, from a stand up perspective, I didn't think it was that funny. Like, I just, I was like, I think his voices are good. It's just, it's. It, it, he was just doing all the catchphrases for, so you you, would, you could recognize who they were, right? Sure. So, and it, one of his claims, so he's got tons of claims to fame now, right? So this was, again, this was 84. Um, he stopped doing stand-up. He is probably up there with um, uh, Billy, who's the Billy West. Okay. Right? The guy who does, like, Futurama. Yep. So he's the up actors. there. Yeah, so he's up there. So <laughs> Maurice LaMarche does The Brain. Okay. From Pinky and the Brain, right? Which is all based on his deadpan Orson Welles. So he's played yep. Orson Welles in like The Simpsons, uh, Futurama. Um, but he does, I mean, the brain is based on Orson Welles. Which right? which
1: to this day is one of those, the Animaniacs, the the cartoon that originally had uh, Pinky and the Brain as a sketch before it branched out onto its own, its own show itself. That is one of the smartest well-written cartoons that I've ever seen. Like, I love going back. The The joke about fingerprints is, is still one of the smartest adult jokes that they were able to sneak in I don't know if you remember this from no. did you ever watch anime action well, oh my god go- I loved it no I watched it in college well there the the joke is is that I think it's Wacko is standing there and they're like we need to we need we need fingerprints and then all of a sudden Prince the singer shows up and the Wacko looks at him and goes I don't think so <laughs> they just turns around and walk away <laughs> And the concept <laughs> of fingerprints in a in a kid's show made me laugh so hard because I was probably 12 or 13, but I got the joke and I was dying and I couldn't explain it to other people that they were able to sneak this in until now it's kind of making a comeback, has a cult following on YouTube and stuff like that. So I really hope there was talks about rebooting it, bringing back the Animaniacs. And they bring are. Back. Are they? Yeah, I came across
0: that when I was researching this. So not only did Maurice Marsh play The Brain, he played Destro in the GI Joe uh, cartoons, right, the TV shows, including okay. some of the reboots. So he did Destro. He played Egon in the entire run of the real Ghostbusters. The cartoons. real Ghostbusters. He played Egon, and they told him not to um, imitate Harold Ramis, but he did. But he did anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he did. He's also does a ton of belching on command. So he in in the movie Elf, <laughs> like that's his belch. He's credited <laughs> an Elf for the belch. Such right, a, after he chugs the soda. Such a random career. But but if you look, he's done, like, I didn't even list. I just list the stuff that you and I would know. Like, again, the, the brain is kind of his claim to fame. Right. But a ton of the reboots of the Looney Tunes stuff, he does. You have Sam and all those because he's just a good impressionist, right? He can just do voices really, really well. So, sure. and, and to me, it was like, to me, he was the least funny. Well, there was a couple other people that I didn't mention that were in that special that, that had no career after that. But he, I looked at looked at his voice, like and and he had a face on IMDb. And usually, when you have a picture on IMDb, you've done something other than one thing, right? Right. And I looked him up, and I was like, he had the longest list I've ever seen on IMDb of credits because he's done small voice parts, big voice parts, and. And and he's had a a whole
1: career around it. Sure. And when you start talking about voice actors, you're speaking my language. Like, I'm one of those dudes that every time, like, Transformers is on, I'm always like, hey, did you know Peter Cullen has done Optimus Prime in literally every iteration of Transformers from 19, whatever, premiered 1978 through the movies, through the modern iterations of the Michael Bay movies. Like, the same guy has made a career out of voicing one character in – I think if you look at his IMDb, there's probably 200, 250 credits, and every single one that has Optimus Prime in it is always Peter Cullen. From the one that we remember in 86, the one where Optimus, spoiler alert, Optimus Prime dies, and you find out he's from a race of primes and blah, 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 to the modern ones with Optimus Prime, it's always been the same actor.
0: Yep. And so, speaking of Transformers, Maurice Marsh also did because of Orson Welles. Orson Welles was in the movie, right? Yep. Yeah, he was the planet. That was, was his Omicron. last. Yeah, I think that was his last credit. So in the TV shows, because Lamarsh can do the Orson Welles voice, he ended up doing that. But I think Orson Welles actually did the movie.
1: Yeah, so. in the movie. Yeah, in the. Yeah. I think it's 1986. Well, that was kind of revolutionary at the time because I, I don't know what came out first, uh, the. Uh, Transformers movie or the heavy metal movie. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, movie. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were both... That was like the first time that they commissioned metal artists and heavy heavy rock to do... If you remember the Transformers 1986 soundtrack, it was awesome. I think it has like a Megadeth song on it. It might have a Dawkins song on it. I know I think it has a, a Ronnie James Dio song on it That where he just screams at the top of his lungs. I'm like, you never saw that in kids cartoons and that's what I remember still sticks with me they just remastered the 86 movie and re-released it and was it 86 tried. or 84 well anyways I know exactly I have a copy
0: of that movie and you're right there's that that song you've got the mm-hmm. touch mm-hmm. isn't that it yeah you've who, got the touch you've got the power that? I have no idea uh, it sound, but it sounds like an 80s hair band like the yeah. music in it is 80s 80s hair metal
1: yeah exactly so and that,
0: that was your cup of tea dude it was so yeah i have a copy of that and i have a copy of the g.i joe movie where um uh don johnson plays duke i think yep and that's anyways they, they which, introduced serpentor yeah we could do, we're gonna do a whole probably do a whole episode on voice acting but going back to you know where i wanted to start which was this this the ninth annual young comedian special look it up on the internet watch the the maurice lamarche because again <laughs> you get you get an idea of his voices but and, and, and again they're really good
1: sure.
0: um uh and I did I couldn't find the Rita Rudner one. I watched a little bit of the Yakka, but again, Bob Saget is out there on the internet. That's hilarious. The Sam Kinison. Again, I think to me, that's my. That was my first exposure to Sam Kinison. Right. Sure. Just to him walk on stage and just start yelling like this over the top, um, and then of course Louis Anderson's on there too, and and then Bob Nelson for me of that whole set. Bob Nelson was the one I watch over and over again, and it makes me laugh. Like, I was watching it yesterday, and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how funny this was. I'll
1: have to go so, back and l- look that one up because I don't remember it, and it sounds remarkably similar to the Key and Peele sketch that I told you about last week. So I, I'm curious if there's any influence
0: there. Yeah, look. yeah, Yeah. So, and then coming out of that, right, we, so we talked about Bob Saget, and everybody forget, like, like, you know, Bob Saget had this career as a stand-up you know and again not a not a kid friendly family friendly version that he became that he did with with full house and afe which is again the topic that we want to talk about today which is standups that have made the transition into dramatic roles right sure. so i put together a list um, of mine and and i did a top 6 like we did i think the last time and we're going to go through these now what i did here's my criteria they had to be a they had to be a standup right okay. cuz that's that was, was a- one of my
1: questions Yep.
0: So, had to be a stand-up, and um, there couldn't just be a comedic act, comedic actor, right? So, I, Tom Hanks isn't on the list, right? No. So, Tom Hanks does does both, right? He's funny, but he's also done serious roles, but he's not on the list. The closest thing he did was when he did that movie called What was it? Stand-up. Yeah. Right. The one yeah. um, with him and the Barbara Streisand. I don't remember. Sally I don't Field. Remember. See,
1: I had a whole thing on Tom Hanks just because he had such a run of just straight comedies, and then in 93 he did Philadelphia, and that's when he turned into dramatic roles. That's when he started doing, like, romantic comedies, and then he actually started doing, like, Saving Private Ryan and Apollo 13. But his run before that, look, this is in chronological order. It was Bosom Buddies, Splash, Bachelor Party, The Man with One Red Shoe, The Money Pit, Dragnet, Bigs, or Big, and The Burbs. And then right after that is when he did Philadelphia, and Philadelphia. then he started getting recognized. But All right, yeah. if we're only doing stand-ups, cross off all these people off my list. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, and the other...
0: Um, uh, so I have, and again, I've, I have some honorable mentions, some other things we'll talk to. So, and, and uh, honestly, this one's top of mind because I forgot about it. And it was, made me think about it was cause he was on Mark Marin's W2F recently. So full credit to this is being top of mind Why it's Number six on my list um, was Howie Mandel and St. Elsewhere. <laughs> right. Because, because he went from being the guy with the rubber glove on his head to what, what, what? Like that was his. Like he had that shtick as a stand-up. Right. And he, was, I remember him being real popular. But then he, he was the same thing, right? For me, at the age that I that I am, seeing him on Saint Elsewhere, and he was that was a that was a drama, right? And they've even talked about they wanted him because he kept doing stand-up. They wanted like they were going to write him off the show because they were afraid people wouldn't take his character seriously. Right. So he's he's a, he's he's number one on my list now. Go back and look at like Bobby's World and the other stuff that he's done, all comedy. I, I don't know that I – and I didn't research it super deep, but I, he's on, I don't know if he's on your list or if he's done any other dramatic roles. But. Not that I can
1: think of, and no, he's not on my list at all. So, I remember him from – Bobby's World was my, my my jam growing up. I remember getting up early because it was on, I think, at 8 o'clock Saturday mornings, and most kids would sleep in a little bit past that. And I used to set an alarm to get up and watch Bobby's World at 8 o'clock. Hmm. So, that was my jam, but no, I don't. I don't even really remember Saint Elsewhere all that much. Like I remember watching it as I got a little bit older, but I mean Saint Elsewhere was mid '80s, so I was still watching Bobby's World at that point in time. <laughs> so, no. so I don't really recall that. But no, I don't re- really recall him doing anything dramatic other than that. He did that. What uh, like walk like a man? But that was a comedy.
0: That was, like, a comedy. That was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then he then you know reinvented his career with uh, um, Deal or No Deal, right? So, yeah. um, and if you believe the stuff you read on IMDb, then um, uh, him and Maurice LaMarche are really good friends. I think Maurice LaMarche did Bobby's World, oh, and probably. They, went, they went to the same high school, <laughs> but in, in in Toronto. But they didn't know each other in high
1: school. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, I can't believe that. I mean, they're all, I mean, Howie Mandel's friends with Mark Hamill. And Mark Hamill, all he does is basically, I mean, he does some acting, obviously, he's still in the Star Wars franchise, but he's a very, very talented. I mean, he's the Joker in a couple different, I think it's the animated series, the Batman animated series, and a few other ones. And he, to me, is the definitive voice of the Joker. So I know they all work together because... They're voice actors. They're, it's, they all claim it's like the easiest job in the world because they just get locked in a booth for a few hours a day and you just talk. So, <laughs> right. Don't blame them. Um, last
0: fun fact, and I, this is just because it's in my memory. This is not written down. But also, if you look through the IMDb um, on Mar- Maurice LaMarche, his dad was a was in television in, in Canada and he was a uh, he was a newsman. And one of the guys he anchored with um, was uh, Alex Trebek. <laughs> in his career, so all right. There's your there's your Canadian. stupid trivia for the day. All right. So moving on. So and the next. So that was number six. Number five in my list is and and I haven't watched it recently, but to me, like uh, loved his stand up, loved his comedy, love like. But he, and this Dennis Leary, right? And sure. what he did in Rescue Me, Rescue Me, Rescue Me from a that show, and when I when we watched it, and this was when we lived in York, so this was. 12 13 years ago that show there's like there was a there was a a part of that though it was a, it was not a comedy like it had oh, comedic no. it it had comedic elements in it but it tackled some really really good issues and i thought he was really good like you forget like first couple times you're waiting for him to like you know, bust out like you know, like like do something funny or or all of that, but then once you realize and he'd done some other kind of dramatic stuff, right? There was um uh, I think before Rescue Me he did like a he played a cop in a show.
1: Yeah, um, he was on he was uh, I think he was a military general in Wag the Dog. Do you remember the the political commentary sort of black comedy with like Robert De Niro where they manufacture a war Oh to, right, right, to right. Sw- yeah, yeah, to sway public opinion and stuff like that. That he plays a general, I think, or a high-ranking government official, in it, and he was really, really good in that too. But I mean, even Rescue Me in general. Like, think about some of the traditional stand-up comedians that got their dramatic. I mean, Lenny Clark was on there, and he's great on that show. And I remember Lenny Clark from those old HBO specials, like those late-night ones, or Adam Ferrar, who's a great stand-up comedian, and he's really good as one of the the fellow firefighters and stuff like that. So I don't know if it was Leary giving other comedians a chance to do what he did to, to kind of flexor their dramatic muscles, but it's also been a great, it's a great springboard for a lot of comedians on there. So I agree. I love that show. I love yeah, Dennis pu- Leary. He, yeah. He pulls in the, he pulls
0: in a lot of Boston comics. He pulls in a lot yeah. of comics to play serious roles. And And did he do that because he had a cousin or something that was a firefighter that, that died and it was kind of a, like gave him the idea, yeah.
1: Could be I do not I d I don't I don't recall. I don't I I didn't do a lot of background research on Rescue Me. I just remember it was on FX, right when FX started getting recognized for its series. And I was like, Oh. I was like, I really like Dennis Leary from his stand up. I love the ref. The ref is still even though Kevin Spacey's in it and we're not supposed to talk about anything, Kevin Spacey, like that still to me is one of my favorite holiday movies to that's outside of the normal rotation of Christmas vacation and the Christmas story and, and all the things you put that on. And Dennis Leary is so good with that old man that plays Murray has plays his partner. And it's just the, the bumbling, the, the bumbling thieves who end up in the wrong, the wrong house <laughs> on Christmas. And that it's, right. like if you get bored of those traditional Christmas movies, the ref is always a good one to mix it up. So yeah. So definitely,
0: Leary on the list. Yep. The next one I struggled with—you're um, probably going to call me out on this. Uh, next one is Adam Sandler for, but it was only that one. I think only that
1: one movie, right? Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love, and then but he had another one too, which was the wasn't something about nine eleven. It was something that there was, it was oh, like him and Dom right. Cheadle or something. You're right. Yes, you're right. What the, yeah, but Adams—I mean, Sandler's a. It, his whole cr- cr- career trajectory could have been changed if... So, originally when Tarantino was casting glorious Bastards, he wanted Adam Sandler to be the bear Jew that ended up being Eli Roth, the guy with the baseball bat that beats the one Nazi to death. He wanted Sandler in that role because Sandler... Is a big dude. Like you forget how big Adam Sandler is. I think he's like six one, six two, and in the context of Hollywood, that's enormous. So, <laughs> right, right. Eli Roth is a smaller guy. So when he comes walking out of that that alleyway with holding the bat, yeah, it's intimidating because you know what's coming. But if that was originally Adam Sandler, and that would have been such a different role for him, like ultraviolet, but still respecting his Jewish heritage and things like that, like that may have changed his career path, but he doesn't need to like all this stuff I heard from Adam Sandler is that he treats every movie set like a big party. That's why he always does his recent movies are always been in like Hawaii or California or some kind of beautiful location because he flies all his friends there and he pays, he's, one of the richest one of the richest comedians working today and he doesn't even need to anymore. So like every film shoot that he does is because it's fun. Not because he thinks it's gonna be good. So I I have a soft right, spot yeah. for Sam.
0: Yeah, and he and he and he works with the same people, his friends, they're in the movies, they're you know, Bushimi's in every
1: movie. Everyone. Like hmm? I said it in everyone. Bushimi right. always pops yeah. up at some and, point. But he was also in Funny People, the one where he plays the the aging stand-up comedian and I think he is he dying maybe? He has like cancer or something like that. Mm. It, it's and It's a comedy because it's an Apatow movie but Apatow movies always have a lot of heart to them and the moments where he has the serious talking about his life moments you, you actually believe it because he's pretty good and Punch Drunk Love is a great example of a darkness in a comedian that you hadn't seen before. So no I agree I, Sandler's on my list. Alright good.
0: Um, all right, number three on my list, is Jim Carrey. Okay. Um, particularly for, for Truman Show and, um, uh, was it, Eternal? Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Exactly. Yeah. Um, those two movies. I think Truman Show was first. Um, yeah. You know, and he was it's such a departure because comedy was all over the top and going back to the, um, oh, what was the Wayne Brothers show that he was on? Where in he was in Color.
1: Fire Marshal. Fire Marshal Bill. Fire Marshal Bill or the 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 bodybuilding woman. I don't remember. Oh, remember. my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, all of those characters. But he was – Jim Carrey, to me, still to this day is one of the best physical comedians that I've ever seen. Like, I don't really remember, like, Buster Keaton and all those ones from, like, the – but as a pure physical comedian, Jim Carrey was so good. Like, I remember seeing Ace Ventura, the first one, in the theater and – like laughing so hard, I was crying. My eye like I, my face, physically hurt after that. So I remember when I first heard that he was going to be doing a dramatic role, I was kind of sketchy. But his his likability and his his natural his natural charisma it it benefit benefited Truman Show because you you rooted for him innately. Like before you even started the movie and before they did any character development, it was Jim Carrey. So you already. Sympathize with him as as the character, and so then when you figure out everything that's going on, and you see it kind of his whole world collapsing around him, he pulls it off. And I, I agree. Like between that, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is still to this day his best—not even just comedic role, his best role because he. And that movie's great. I think it's Michelle Gondry that that directed it, but it's such a weird such a weird cluster of of ideas, and he's able to, to pull it off really well. So. No, I
0: agree. So he's on your list too? Yep. For sure. Yep. Okay. All right, so um, – and I haven't watched – I don't know if you've watched any of that, that that Andy Kaufman, like the document. Is it Becoming Andy? Becoming or Andy. Jim, oh, Jim
1: and Andy. Isn't it Jim? I don't know. I mean, there might be more. All I, I know, know is he's getting – The problem with that I have with Jim Carrey is the idea of separating art from artist. Like he's become a little bit too everything I say is gospel and a little bit too preachy with the way he goes. Boy, I agree with probably seventy five to eighty percent of his political opinions. He doesn't need to be I guess it's me saying he doesn't need to be vocal about it, but you're allowed. You're allowed to do whatever you want. I just don't particularly care for the way he's turned recently. Right, so that's why he bumped. He was bumped down a little bit further on my list. Oh, was he? Yeah, and
0: you know, and I, and again, uh, I haven't watched the documentary, but you see enough of the the previews on Netflix where they they, they kind of auto roll the trailers, and yeah. it sounded like he completely immersed, like he became Andy Kaufman.
1: Sure, when and Andy, with, Andy with, Kaufman with... was a grating personality, like I get it. Like I, I, I never really under, I didn't find Andy Kaufman as funny as anybody else really does. So mm-hmm. when he pour yourself methodically into that role can be a bit taxing so man on the moon was a great film like absolutely i think it did did andy kaufman justice but i don't particularly like andy kaufman, So, I wasn't, right, as, right. I wasn't as vested in that movie so
0: all right so number two and we're gonna, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking to it because this is this is this is fresh so steve carell right? okay um and and he, he he's done a bunch of stuff right um you know hit hit fox catcher right oh. um and the one I watched last night, Beautiful Boy. Um, I think even like Crazy Stupid Love, right? That was a uh, that's a little bit like I border- was like a rom com. It's a
1: rom com, yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, I thought like his I thought his what he did in that one was um, was good. So I, I just feel like he is a. Uh, he's done that transition very well like he does deadpan he does comedy and and that movie beautiful boy so if you
1: have you seen that yet i I have not seen beautiful boy but just not to the context of your question is actually doesn't it negate him he's not stand-up he was in an improv troupe which i guess can be considered stand-up but he got his start on daily show right I don't know I, if I I've never actually heard of Steve Carell doing hundred percent just stand up material.
0: I thought I saw something. That's a good Ooh. we'll have to we'll have to uh asterisk it then. <laughs> I, I thought for sure that I saw when I was doing my research, I thought for sure that I could be wrong. They, they talked about him starting a stand up. I didn't see video of it, but I, 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 I think
1: I, he I think he originally got his training with either Second City or I think he was the Second City guy out of Chicago. I think he's Canadian originally. No, maybe not. But I think he got Second City, which I guess you could consider that stand-up. Because that's basically... I mean, it's they did improv and stuff like that on stage. So I guess it's considered stage comedy. So... I'll allow it. How about that? And plus, I lo- and plus, I fucking love Steve Carell. I do. Like, everything that he's been in, like, comedy to dramatic roles, he's always been really, really good in it. So, I mean, you didn't even mention Little Miss Sunshine is the first time that I remember him doing something really, really dark. Like, that's a comedy, and there's a lot of, like, comedic elements in it. But him playing the the recently separated gay phlo- I think he was a philosophy professor who recently tried to kill himself and then he moves back in with his sister and the the growth that he goes through between his character and then Paul Dano as the son going through some stuff and the speech that he gives Paul Dano when they're standing on the, the pier after Paul Dano has the freak out about how he didn't get into flight school because he was colorblind and it's this heartbreaking moment and he tells them this story about Michelle Proust, who's the the philosopher that he's written his entire life about, and he goes all the times the, the quoting the philosophers. All the times I was happy in my life, it was a waste of time. All the pain and stuff that I I learned I learned the most from is is the pain that I went through. So, but wow. yeah, Steve. I mean, and then in Big Short, and from what I heard in Vice, he is apparently great as Rumsfeld in in the new Vice movie with uh, that was by Adam McKay, the guy that did the big short. So. Agree. Okay. Yeah, I mean I think his
0: his list of dramatic roles is getting to be as long as his list of comedic roles, particularly in film, right? Sure. Um and and Beautiful Boy, I, I highly recommend it's a it, it's all addiction and it it hit really close to home with us because it it a lot of parallels to to our family and with 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 our oldest, right? Sure. And the stuff we went through there and Carell did a, a amazing job capturing what it's like to live, to be held captive by the disease of addiction. Sure. Um, you know, I looked a little bit, like I always wonder with movies like that and, and, and watch, like it doesn't have a tremendously high Rotten Tomato score. Um, but I think if you have ever, like if you, and anybody listening that has ever come across addiction or have gone through that, it is a hundred percent, I think, authentic. I mean, they've they've captured that experience. They've captured the pain. They've captured the
1: emotion. Um, That's based it, on a book, isn't it? Uh, I believe so. I may have read the book. That it sounds really familiar, like the the name "Beautiful Boy." And I thought I remember the cover of the book being like spelled out in pills but I could be wrong. Could be.
0: Yeah. And, and, and again, um, I don't know that we spoiled a whole lot of stuff here yet. We should, we should have made, we're supposed to make a uh, A spoiler uh, warning announcer, a spoiler warning at the beginning, but um, that, that movie. And, and I I, I was very, I very well connected with it, but I just, I, I, you forget when you, when you look at an actor and you can forget the other work they've done, because you can only see them as the character they're playing in that movie. I think that is what is the essence of of good acting, right? Yeah. Is they they become that character the way they act, the way they talk, they, they you know all of that, um, and he just did a phenomenal job as the as the as the lead or you know part of the lead. And I think the 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 the, the actor that played the son, the boy, um, I believe he won awards. Um, Do you remember who it was? No. It was somebody okay. I didn't know. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. Uh, and I believe that's an Amazon. Like, it was on Amazon Prime for free. And I think okay. it said it Amazon. So, I, you know, much like Netflix is doing their own stuff, Amazon's kind of doing their own uh, films. So I think this is an Amazon film. Oh, okay. The original so, content. All right, so moving on to number one on my list. Um, it's is, is got to be Robin Williams, right? Um, of course. Probably the most funny of the list and probably the best in a dramatic turn on the list like covers
1: the most shocking the most shocking turn like when you see his stand-up special like I remember him doing all those stand-up specials for HBO going back to what we were talking about like him what was it Comic-Aid what was the one that him Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg used to do (laughs) Comic relief. Oh, comic relief. Okay, yeah. so I remember him from that, and I remember how crazy his his stage performance was. Like, I don't know if that's his natural energy level or if it was the mid '80s drug induced energy level. But I remember that, and then seeing his turn in Goodwill Hunting and being so unbelievably shocked and floored by the the natural warmth that he had. It was just, I. I But then one of the things I love to talk about in that movie, two of the best of his moments in the entire movie were ad-libbed. And going back, the, the, the story that he tells Matt Damon about his wife farting in her sleep, That was completely ad lib. That's not in the script. So Matt Damon laughing that hard is just him laughing at Robin Williams telling the story. The camera shakes, Steve. If you ever go back and watch, because the cameraman and the person standing (laughs) next to the cameraman are all dying laughing because it just comes out of nowhere. And the two of them are such good actors that they stayed in that moment. And that moment is the bonding moment between Will and and the Doctor, and that's when he becomes that paternal figure and, and starts guiding him along the what he needs to go through in the movie. And then the last... Obviously, we're getting into spoiler warnings, but the, the last line where he goes, I went to see about a girl, and Robin Williams goes, that son of a bitch, he stole my line. That's not in the script. That's just Robin Williams being so smart and understanding the moment and what he could add to it without detracting from it so right well and i think that shows the import
0: like you know Improv is a lot – that is a comedic tool, but that's sure. an acting tool, right? Like the, the guys that are good at improv. And, and Robin Williams, like his energy level and his ability to just go with what, whatever is happening. Like he would take something and he could turn it into something. Like you can tell he had these, these exceptional improv skills. And, mm-hmm. and and But you're to your point, to be able to go from such an extreme where he was flying across the stage like – I've never seen a comedian with that much pure energy to go into these roles where he's playing a mindful, you know, just a a completely different character, right? Which then goes back to the whole idea, right? When you look at comedians, and the comedians that certainly aren't on this list, but there are comedians, stand ups, that what they do on stage is a character, right? What they do is a departure. From who they are, and and I got to put this guy, and he's not on my list. I'm just this, I'm kind of going with the flow of this here. Is Bobcat right? So Bobcat and Robin Williams were best friends, right? Bobcat, the guy, the guy, idea of Bobcat is a character, yeah, right. That voice is a character. Bobcat as a director and a writer, brilliant, right? And really smart. And talks in a normal voice, but for years, like he, that Bobcat character i would say gilbert godfrey to a certain extent character um Stephen wright character right sure. I th- there are comedians that what they do on stage is not who they are off stage steve
1: lewis black everyone tells the story that lewis black off the stage is like the nicest most calm person that you'll ever meet and then you get him on stage and he's this ranting <laughs> raving madman but he says that's that's how he gets it out he, that's how he gets that anger and that 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 voice of, of just pure rage out is that's how he gets rid of it. And I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So again, and, and Bobcat isn't on the
0: list, but cause. And again, he probably could be right. Cause he's done some dramatic turns, but he's, he, he's got that character that he's struggles to get away
1: from. And he gets away from it behind the camera. Sure. And, 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 and I he's think- really, really smart about, it, 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 the, the character became who he was known for, so I don't know if he could continue to, of acting. You know what I mean? Like, just because of the recognition of his face and that character, that the only chance that he really had to was to go behind the camera for a little bit. I do remember he was in uh, Below with Johnny Depp, the, the cocaine movie, yeah. and I remember telling somebody, I was like, that's Bobcat with from the Police Academy movies, and they went, no. And they just looked at me, and I was like, "Yeah, it is." And they're like, "No, it's not." And I had to pull it up because he didn't use that that weird cadence and the the the, the vocal fry and all that stuff that you got used to hearing it from him in Police Academy and all those. and one Steve, we were one crazy summer and better or. Yeah, One Crazy Summer was the one with him in it. But, like, we watched that movie so many times when I was a kid that that's who I thought he really was. I thought he had this weird verbal tick that he had right. to talk like yeah. that on a regular basis. But then you find out that he's actually really, really smart. Like, World's Greatest Dad is so dark and so messed up, but one of the smartest, smartest comedies that I've seen from, yeah. well, at least from him. You can tell he's a talented, introspective guy. Right, so. World's Greatest Dad and, what, Death of Smoochie? Death of Smoochie. Is that the Smoochie. other one? yeah
0: That's
1: and and him and Robin
0: did a bunch of other stuff so and again i don't you didn't mention it yet cuz uh, again goodwill hunting over the top but it for me dead poets right cuz that yep. but the 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 school background that you and i had going to a, <laughs> a a school very similar to what they had in there um and having that experience and and again i think when it came out i was probably in the school sure. then. um so and that one was again there's like completely different and and he takes on this role right cuz I think that's part of the the thing where you, you you forget that he was Mork. You forget yep. that he was all these other characters and he's got this professorial very similar to the character in Goodwill. Like he's got this you know, he's he's a teacher and and, and you treat him as such and he's but he's kind of different and he's trying to help these kids and, and, and he's trying to hit them to learn and he's really emotionally attached to them and all that. And it just it was a, to me watching it was like it it wasn't the same person. Like once you get past the five minutes of, Oh my god, it's Mork and then you're right. like, Oh it's no it's not no, it's not. It's
1: it's, well, it's it's the teacher. That's what he's on. He's obviously number one on my list, too, just because I loved his stand-up, and I just loved him, and the, his, this, the tragedy of his story is just one of those things that I think people need to be aware of. You know what I mean? Like, there's been documentaries that have come out recently about the the troubles that he went through, and I think he needs to be... He needs to be respected for the, the legend that he was. But there's a, there's a movie called Insomnia, which was Christopher Nolan's like first big one that he did after Memento. And I don't know if you remember this, where he played, spoiler alert, he ends up being the bad guy. And Al Pacino plays a detective that gets sent to a small town in Alaska to get away from like a controversy that he was escaping and he needed to investigate this murder. And it's right at the time when there's no there's no darkness it's 24 hours of daylight so he starts getting rampant insomnia and stuff but robin williams doesn't even show up until like 45 50 minutes into the movie and then completely owns it from that point that moment forward and he's not playing a forbidding or a a foreboding character he's very well spoken he's very very meek but there's an anger and like an intensity like you know where it's going but to see that that comedian that i know Turn into this person is is one of those things that I and it's it's Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan knows how to direct an intense uh, an intense visually arresting film. So that's one of those ones I always recommend. And then there's another one. I don't one hour photo came out the same year where he plays the the attendant at the one hour photo place and becomes obsessed with this family oh right yeah yeah. the psychotic turn in that shows his range as an actor like that is to to have and then still be producing mass content on a comedic scale and be able to produce these roles that you completely forget the comedy for a second is shows his craft so yeah Yep,
0: I think top top on a lot of people's list, and, and, and you know, and to your point, you know, his Lewy body dementia was a horrible, that okay. horrible end to, to to his life, and and you read some of the stuff that's come out, you know, and it, it's hard with someone who's a celebrity, and it's hard with somebody who's got this public persona. Sounds like he was a pretty warm guy too, right. right? Like when you listen to Bobcat talk about his relationship with with Robin and the type of person he was, you get that he was a good
1: friend, he was a good dad, he was a good, he was just a good dude. So and he just had demons that he battled with, and that. That's what every story you hear is about—how warm and how helpful and how listening and stuff, and how caring he was to to up-and-comers and 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 people getting their breaks and stuff like that. And it just, yeah, he's number one on mine. Yeah. So, so our list is, or my list was your list: Howard Mandel, (laughs) Dennis
0: Leary, Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey, Steve Carell, Robin Williams. Did you? Was your
1: similar? Different? No. No, you're you're missing some big ones. But I like right. that's what I mean, Steve. That my problem is is that there, there's no way I can whittle it down. Like I have a couple on here that I think you definitely missed. And the first one I want to mention is Jamie Foxx. <laughs> ja- Jamie Foxx. That was my number. S- I-, I was torn between him and Howie Mandel because be- because Jamie of the is two is number two on my list, dude. Like to to come from his stand up and and living culling background, and then you get Ray. Like you literally get the physical embodiment of. Ray Charles on screen. Like, he's fantastic in that movie. Like, you can't even tell that that's Jamie Foxx. And sure, it's a lot to do with they got the hair just right, he got the mannerisms just right, but... And he, and he already... Jamie Foxx was a classically trained pianist, so he didn't really have to relearn anything. You know what I mean? Right. So all the performances and stuff like that. And then you get him in, Djang- or in Django Unchained, where it's kind of a... like Tarantinos aren't comedies, but there's a comedic element to some of the stuff. And But right. he is... Fantastic and Baby Driver. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend. Oh no, no, no! I've seen that. That was a good movie. Edgar Wright is is so is so good at the type of movie that he does that I don't care if they all seem relatively derivative, the the, the color palettes and stuff like that. But what the one I really want to talk about from Jamie Fox is a movie called Collateral. Uh, from 2004 i don't know if you remember that it is Mm -hmm. michael mann is the director michael mann's the guy that directed heat and last of the mohicans and and things like that but it's to this day outside of taps if you you count taps as tom cruise being the villain it's the only time tom cruise has ever played a villain in a movie in his career (laughs) like straight up no ifs ands or buts He's, he's the, the, the guy. He's the yeah. anti- he's the antagonist, and it's it's done so well. And Jamie Foxx is so good. There's a there's a moment where he has to act. He plays a, a very very a, a, I don't want to say soft, but kind of reserved taxi driver, and he has to go into this nightclub and he has to act like this badass hitman, and he pulls the switch. This, the, the change from character to character in the movie so well that it, I, I feel like I, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you to watch it. So I don't know if no, you actually have, but... I haven't. I don't, if I did, I, it was a long time ago. I, oh, I don't remember. So, so, so good. Michael Mann had some missteps, but that's that's one of his hits. Yeah, yeah Jamie Foxx is the only other one I have written down, and, uh, yeah, I guess, it, yeah, that's, he, sh- he should be on the list. Anyways, yep. go on. Uh, second one, Whoopi. Yep, Whoopi Goldberg. She was she was one of the better the better stand up talents during the '80s, and then her and Ghost and you know uh, color Pur- color purple and and yep. she just shows this shit. But it's it just sucks that that people only recognize her as oh she's one of the co hosts on the View. Like oh yeah yeah like, no she uh, yeah yeah and it's because I hadn't see, like
0: you know I haven't seen her in something for a long time. But yeah, you're right. Sure. Whoopi Whoopi should be on the list too. Well, these probably.
1: are, I mean, most of these are going to be honorable mentions. There's just some yeah. ones that, like, there's... They haven't done a lot of, of dramatic roles, but when they have done it, they've done... Dude, Patton Oswalt in... There's a movie called Big Fan where he plays, like, a parking attendant who's obsessed with the the giants. And... He has this chance to meet one of his idols, I think it's the line the the star linebacker for the Giants at the time and it's at like a nightclub and something happens and it's all him dealing with what happened that night with like his fear and he is so heartbreakingly good in that role and it's Pat Oswald I love Pat Oswald I love all of his stand up i've watched all of, i've read all of the things his 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 diatribe that he does in front of city council on parks and rec wasn't scripted. And it's, if you ever get a chance to go and watch that, but he is so good in this role that it, it's hard to, to not mention that. one. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, I like, and I like Pat. I like Pat too. He just wasn't on my
1: list. Did you see the the most recent story about him? Not to go off on a tangent. With the, with the troll? With the troll. Yeah. They, yeah. If, if the people listening haven't heard the story. So, Pat Oswald's very vocal on Twitter and. He made a comment about Trump and one of the guys that followed him made a backhanded comment about how he was glad he died in one of the movies that he was in. So Patton Oswalt was getting ready to go back and like launch into one of his, his trademark his trademark insults. But he went and looked at the guy's timeline and the guy was like suffering from I don't even remember what, but some pretty serious health issues and had like a GoFundMe page set up and then Patton put a, a tweet out that said, you know, Hey, I was getting ready to attack this guy for attacking me, but I did a little bit of research and it looks like he could really issue help and raised i don't even remember what it was up to the last time i looked it was like 40 grand of like a fifteen thousand dollar limit or goal that the guy had sent and then the guy sent a really sweet response back to Patton about how words matter and it's just a great story and apparently he he does this all the time and then never tells anybody like goes on gofundme and and gives people money and stuff so i love Patton oswald so that's why he's on my list yeah
0: and i think that you can't say enough i mean what that commentary of what patton did there about you know let's we're all human we're like all let's human. not like let, let's let's forget like twitter is we can people can hide behind twitter people do this but when it comes becomes personal and you want to make it personal let's look at people for who they are and this yep. this guy needs help and i'm going to i am not going to attack him cuz he attacked me or i'm not going to let this continue This guy needs help. I'm going to use what I have to help him. I'm going to put the words aside and put the actions to work, and I think that that was huge. All right,
1: so we got to wrap up. So who who else is on your – Just two quick honorable mentions, especially from people that I never saw coming. Uh, Marlon Wayans for Requiem for a Dream. Marlon Wayans hasn't done a whole lot of – and I don't even think his comedy is all that great. He's a little bit too manic for me. Like even his stand-up is a little bit too – Over the top, but his turn as the the heroin junkie in Darren Aronofsky's Record for a Dream. I I, and I don't. Record for a Dream is one of those movies that is absolutely fantastic that I'll never watch again just because it is so horrible and so it's such a slog and so taxing to watch. Because we all, like you said, Steve, we all know people that have gone through something similar to there is some some battle with addiction and to see the way that aronofsky portrayed it on screen was made me feel horrible but he, Marlon Wayans going from that crazy almost obnoxious persona to that character turn was fantastic and the last one I got is just it's John Leguizamo I John Leguizamo is one of the most prolific stand-up comedians that we've seen he's always has uh, new specials coming out, and then you see him in roles, and you forget that he can do he can do drama really well. His small role in John Wick, which I will go to bat. John Wick's my top five action movie of all time, but his small little role and just the really efficient dialogue and the way he delivers it is is so good. So I, I would agree. Yeah that that scene when they where'd you get this car? Where'd you get this car? Get this out of. And then when Vigo calls him later and he just says, "I heard you struck my son," and all John Leguizamo says is one line back. He was like, "He stole John Wick's car and killed his dog," and then Vigo just goes. Oh, and they both hang up, and that's it. And those three sim- super simple moments of dialogue convey so much information about John Wick, about yep. John Leguizamo's character, and about Viggo's respect for both of them. And it's just, I love that, that movie, and that's that. why I wanted to say it at the end. Just so, go watch John Wick. Not the second one. The second one's kind of dumb. I don't really enjoy that, but the third one looks good. But the first one, the first top five one action amazing. Movies. Yep, I would agree with you there. So... All right, that was it. Right. I had other ones that, of course, I right, didn't technically do stand up, but can do both really well. Michael Keaton. Yep, I was he, d- debating him. So, uh, I, and he he actually did do some stand up way early in his career. Did he? Yep. So then, all right. So that he would have to be on your list if you're using that as a technicality, because Michael Keaton is awesome, and I love the fact that Michael Keaton Kees- Michael Keaton has had a career resurgence in the past few years. Agreed.
0: Well, again, I never saw a stand-up, so I couldn't say how good of a comedian, but no. people that well-known comedian, dramatic role. So that's why I kind of left Keaton off of that
1: one. What else you got? Uh, that we have, I, I had to bring him up because as soon as I thought of it, we I thought of the opposite way. That's someone that comes from a strictly serious film background and then makes a comedic turn and then never looks back. And it's it's Leslie Nielsen, dude. Yep. Like, you have to talk about Leslie Nielsen anytime you talk about turns from serious to comedy or comedy to serious because everyone forgets because everybody knows him as frank drebin or the 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 doctor from airplane and they forget that he's he's a classically trained he was serious in all of these military movies like he's the captain in the poseidon adventure and he comes oh yeah yeah i mean he had
0: two distinct careers and for us we never got to experience his the serious his one. first career because and he was completely serious and then you know I think Dad's like that's Leslie Nielsen like he's been in all these movies he's super serious actor and now he's a deadpan so I had written him down I wanted to talk about him too because those movies have definitely influ- influenced all uh, you know our growing up our appreciation of comedy our appreciation of humor um, Leslie Nielsen was at the forefront and you're right he went from he did the exact reverse he went from deadpan serious straight actor to like, hilarious on, on, on TV and on film.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. But, yeah, it's, like, it, people forget that that's he's so serious and they always talk about the story about when he went to audition for airplane the first time it's the zucker brothers right is that that's yep. the guy that directed wrote and directed those and there, he kept saying he goes why do you want me for this role he's like i'm not funny and they're like that's the point you all of your lines are supposed to be dry like you're supposed to deliver them <laughs> like you're a serious actor and then you get the you know the i am serious and don't call me shirley and all of that And those movies you guys showed me way too early. Like, between that and then all of Mel Brooks' catalog, by the time I was 15, 16 years old, like, Dad was such a big Mel Brooks fan that he got you into Mel Brooks, and then you were such a Mel Brooks fan that you got me into Mel Brooks, that I had seen everything that Mel Brooks had ever made by the time I was even in high school. So being exposed and getting your comedic timing from... Marty Feldman and and Gene Wilder and stuff like that. It's definitely going to <laughs> skew the way, you know what I mean. I deliver lines or right. I tell jokes or what I think is funny. So.
0: Yeah, and even like the and the when they used to run the Police Squad episodes on MTV, like back mm-hmm. in the day, and you realize like, oh, before there was Naked Gun, there was Police Squad, like yeah. from the Files of Police Squad, and like there was just stuff in there. Like t- he walked into a a, a a locksmith, like they and they have a wall of a thousand keys, and he slams the door, and all the keys fall down. <laughs> like it was just that little stuff. Like yeah, it, it was good. So yeah, that great. I think a great way to wrap all this up up is, is with Leslie Nielsen because, again, going the opposite way, going from like pure pure straight acting to, to comedy is not easy, and I don't think anybody did it better than him, and he had a, a long career of, of comedy after his you know uh, initial career in, in serious acting. So. I agree. All right. Well, I think that's all I wanted to cover today. Um, this is, again, we're wrapping up season six, episode two of uh, Match Wits. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at matchwits, that's W-I-T-T-S, right? Uh, two T's, that's our last name, and then uh, matchwits.com. Uh, you can subscribe, give us a rating on on iTunes and in uh, the Google Play Store. It's available, and uh, we'll be back next week with a, uh, another episode. I'm not sure of the topic yet. Any any ideas? I got a you few. Want... I'll pitch them off air. Okay. Sounds good. All right, brother. All right, brother. See next you. week. You got it. See you.